to be interviewing a longtime friend of mine, somebody that many of you know, and those of you who don't, by the time you finish listening to this conversation, you're going to be so glad that now you know a little bit about this lady. I'm talking about the executive director, visionary, founder of Little Black Pearl Workshop, Monica Haslip. Monica Haslip, welcome to Black News. Ah, thank you. It's good to be here, Doris. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm actually better than good. Yeah? Yeah, this is a beautiful time for me. I love mm -hmm. summer. Oh, yeah. I'm excited about the beautiful weather, so mm -hmm. yeah, it's all good. You know, I, when I came in here, every time I come here, it's like walking into a new place. <laughs> the first question that I have for you is how often do you renovate or redesign or hmm. cycle the work because truly, Nev every time I've come, yeah. it is like walking into a brand new space. You know, it's kind of tied to my, my beliefs about how to sustain organizations. And I just happen to believe that we have to pay attention to what's happening around us. Mm. And so everything that happens in this place is really driven by what's happening in the community, what the needs are of the people. And so I've learned over the years, this is like my 29th year. Mm -hmm. So I've learned over the years that in order to be relevant and in order to really offer to people services and uh, activities and events that really are meaningful to them, I have to make adjustments along the way and not be afraid to, to change. Mm -hmm. I think everything is about, about change. Mm. You know, it's, um, it's important for us to have that opportunity mm -hmm. to, to change. And so I'm a space person. Mm -hmm. I love design. So when COVID uh, happened, I, it was the first time in years that I had time to sit at home and mm -hmm and really do some deep reflection. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I really thought about what we all needed, which was spaces of belonging, mm -hmm. spaces where we could potentially work, mm -hmm. because many of us uh, were not going back to offices. Mm -hmm. um, I created the wellness, food and wellness center, or uh, market, basically, mm -hmm. to 
offer healthier food options, but also to expand the narrative about an African-American icon, Dr. George Washington Carver. So, you know, it's... it's well, some would have us believe it's no more than just a peanut, peanut man. man. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really... I, to answer that question, I would say that I'm always uh, reflective and I'm always looking at what is happening around mm -hmm. me. And I'm trying to be responsive to that, whether it is a shift in the space or a shift in programming. But, you know, it's always about growth and, and moving forward. Well, Monica, I have known you a long time. Yes. Decades. Yeah. And I know you have a lot of fans, and I count myself as one of your biggest. Oh, thank you. Um, you, you know, what kind of a little girl was Monica? Because I have seen you envision. I've, mm -hmm. I've watched you envision this. I've mm -hmm. seen you just, you are not afraid of the thoughts that travel from ear to ear. Mm -hmm. Many of us are. Yeah. How do you, for, well, what was Monica the little girl like? <laughs> well, you know what, I, I what honestly, was your mother? my mother was soul. amazing, my father was mm -hmm. interesting, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I was a child who was a little sickly, I had asthma growing up, and um, so I was always inside a lot, and my mother was very um, protective as mm -hmm. a result of that, and I spent a lot of time uh, drawing mm -hmm. and finding ways to keep myself busy while my my siblings and friends <laughs> were outside playing. Uh, so you know, I think I I, I learned to appreciate um, my my um, internal sort of creativity, and I was an interesting looking child. <laughs> so so I never really focused on the outside. I was always focusing on how could I be the best person I could be inside because I, I felt that that was going to be the thing that I had to rely on. So even as a kid, I was always thinking about how to be my best self. Mm -hmm. And my mom, who was an incredible example of courage and power, she, she went all the way to the federal supreme court mm -hmm. and won a case it took her nine years i watched that never giving up yeah and that had a huge impact on me although i didn't realize it was doing that then so i i think for me um, just always having that kind of like complete love uh, from my my parents and my siblings and uh, it invited me to be comfortable in my own skin, mm -hmm. which gave me uh, probably a bit more courage mm -hmm. than most. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm always encouraging parents to love your kids, mm -hmm. love them as they are, mm -hmm. and you know, find what's good in them and nurture that. And don't say no so much. Yeah, I'm, well, my mom said no a lot because <laughs> I needed no a lot, but you know, it, it was a healthy balance. Mm -hmm. And she saw that I was um, gifted as an artist mm -hmm. and put me in art school in high school, which was really great because I lived in a black community and I went to a school with predominantly white children mm -hmm. and it sort of prepared me for the, for, for the, li for the life I have now, yeah. you know, where I feel um, 
comfortable going into any space. Mm -hmm. That's important. Yeah. Especially in this day and age. Yeah. Because we live in a day and age now where people want to hear what uh, you have to say mm -hmm. if you've proven that you can, you know, affect change. Mm -hmm. And when you get in those spaces, if you have that level of comfort, you find that there are often ears to hear. Yeah. So I always like to uh, have our audience get to know who we're talking about before we get into what they've done. So yeah. we're on that journey of who is Monica. Yeah. And it's a wonderful thing because you've talked a bit about your mom and your dad and you know yeah. how you were brought up. And if I look at your work, your whole body of work, and it's vast, mm -hmm. it's diverse, mm -hmm. it's um, even complex, I think mm -hmm. would be a good word. Yeah. You. And, and, and I, I can speak for myself when you walk into Little Black Pearl Workshop. Mm -hmm. The first thing, the first feeling that I feel mm -hmm. is a sense of love. Mm -hmm. It's a sense of belonging. Yeah. It's a sense of, wow, if I could be in this space every day, all day, what a level of confidence, yeah. you know, I, anyone would have. Yeah. Where did you get that? <laughs> I mean, okay, I, I get well, your family. Well, I think that in my own um, spirituality and beliefs, you know, I think your beliefs define what happens in your life. And, and it has uh, taken me my own, being on my own journey mm -hmm. to really uh, sort of develop my own relationship with God and the universe. Mm -hmm. And so as a result of that, the... Um, as my clarity mm -hmm. uh, strengthened and my my faith strengthened, mm -hmm. then you know it became easier when things were challenging. I could see beyond it, mm -hmm. and I could have faith that I I, I could see myself past mm -hmm. whatever the barrier was. So you know, it just um, I think I also have done a lot of work on myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm a racial healing practitioner and trainer, and so that, that work has invited me to um, look at my own life mm -hmm. and look at my own journey and my own uh, biases and beliefs. And as a result of that, you know, I have focused on love. Mm -hmm. I realize that, you know, even with the children that we serve here, the reason they do well and the reason they graduate and all of that had to do more with the love that they encounter when they're in this space than anything else. You know, um, the team that works here, we have over probably 30, seven, eight people working here and um, you know, I look for people who have that same kind of spirit and that same kind of energy, who believe in the power of love. Mm -hmm. And so when you come in the space, you know, I always tell people everything in a space, in this place, in some way I've touched. Uh, I usually design all the spaces. And so I'm always thinking about people. Mm -hmm. I'm always thinking about mm -hmm. what they, what I want them to feel. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that's how people 
feel that kind of love because whatever your intention is, mm -hmm. whatever you put into it, right. it's really what you're going to get out of it mm -hmm. at the end of the day. So that's been my sort of mantra to really let love lead mm -hmm. and then, you know, everything else kind of works itself out along yeah. the way. Yeah. You know? Well, I watched you um, um, work in the darkroom at Johnson Publishing Company. <laughs> Probably, really, um, I'm, you know, we know all the alumni that were there, but I think your eyes have probably seen more of the history of that company than anybody else. Yeah. Because you were the one publishing all of the work. Mm -hmm. I mean, the artwork, mm -hmm. all of the photographs. Mm -hmm. Every, while I might have been the last eyes on Ebony Man magazine before it went to the typesetters, yeah. Every every piece of art that went into that magazine had to come through your shop, yeah. your your yeah. your light box, and, yeah. um, and then uh, BET. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and here's the thing about you: people would look at the set of skills required to work in a dark room. Yeah. Trust me, far exceeded that, obviously, because you went from there to BET and advertising, mm -hmm. excelled, went mm -hmm. around the country, mm -hmm. and you all the while, it is almost as if this was, this the birth of Little Black Pearl was taking shape. Yeah. Because once you made the decision, mm -hmm. I remember riding around with you to find yes. the, your first building. Yeah. And that whole process. Yeah. Um, and you turned your home into an after-school program <laughs> yep. that you literally opened your doors to strangers, yeah. kids that a lot of people would say, you know, shoo, shoo, right. we don't want you here. Yeah. You trusted them in your home and you showered them with love and you taught them skills. Mm -hmm. And then you moved from there, which I think was about two. Thousand? I, yeah, I built this place in 2005. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you went from how many square feet to? 2,000 square feet to 40,000, 42,000 square feet. Just yeah. because you could. <laughs> <laughs> well, sort of, or, yeah. Or because you dreamed that yeah, you could. Yeah, I think it was a combination of, um, you know, thinking about you know, my, my mind is often set on the future and what, what I am moving towards. And so when I was in my house, I was in my house for 11 years. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think somehow this place magically mm -hmm. <laughs> sort of <laughs> was created. But I, I did some of my most foundational work mm -hmm. in my house. Mm -hmm. You know, I, it helped me to really define what I was doing and why I was doing it. I actually, um, you know, I went through a really dark period in my mm -hmm. house because mm -hmm. I was building mm -hmm. and I had, I ran out of money mm -hmm. and I was too uh, embarrassed mm -hmm. to tell my, my mom or my family uh, because I had worked at BET mm -hmm. and I had been at Johnson Publishing you know, there was a certain kind of lifestyle yeah. that I had gotten sort of locked into. And when I ran out of money, while I was building Little Black Pearl, or while I thought I was building Little Black Pearl, mm -hmm. I, I, um, I learned the, the most important lessons. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that it helped me to 
have a level of empathy mm -hmm. and compassion uh, that shapes what I do now. So when people come to the door here and they may need something that uh, that, I, that resonates with me because I've, I've been there. And so it's easier to um, think about what people might need because I've, al I've already experienced that need myself. And so I share that information with people because I don't want people to have the impression that this is this has been like a, a quick easy mm -hmm. journey mm -hmm. you know it, it is yeah it's the discipline mm -hmm. that you have to develop in order to uh, sustain through what is inevitably going to be some challenges mm -hmm. while you're building mm -hmm. and so that 11 years in my house really I'm very very grateful for that I see young people who are now grown mm -hmm. who are doing incredible things that started in my house mm. and they still stay in touch with me and they mm -hmm. call me and say Monica I'm running for office or I'm mm -hmm. doing this and I'm doing that and it let me know that you know even in that beginning phase that was that was probably some of the the best work that I've done in in, in establishing the foundation of this stuff mm -hmm. you know I, I tried to combine the two things I loved it was art and business mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I learned business by watching people like John Johnson mm -hmm. and Bob Johnson who you know John Johnson with Johnson Publishing had the most um, profoundly impactful media uh, outlet for black people and people in general uh, that has ever been created. Ever. Ever. And Bob Johnson who, you know, did it with, with music and videos and uh, television and I think I was watching mm -hmm. but uh, not really watching intentionally to build. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I, I was watching and then I felt inspired to build. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I just took some of the things that I learned from those experiences um, about business and I added those to the thing mm -hmm. that I love about art. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that became the formula for, for a little black girl. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think if somebody asked me, you know, look at Monica Hazlip and tell me what, how would you, what, 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 what would you learn from her? What do you think she can teach people? You know, I, I would really tell people, you need but watch her. And the reason I say that is because, you know, you are someone who is reflective, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of us waste time. I've known you to be somebody who, while it may seem that you might be wasting time, <laughs> you're the most silent worker I've ever known <laughs> yeah. because your wheels are always turning. Yeah. Even if you're doodling, your yeah. doodling turns into measurements mm -hmm. and directions mm -hmm. and space. And mm -hmm. I mean, I've, 
I still think about things that amaze me. Uh -huh. And when I come here and see something you've done or yeah. heard something that you say, my mind goes back. Mm -hmm. And it is amazing. I think that the things that you offer, um, not just the children, but particularly the children, yeah. um, and the people who come into your spaces, really is amazing. People know you by not even your own artwork that mm -hmm. you've created, but the spaces you've created for other people to build art, but you do so much more. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know how many of our listeners are aware of the whole Georgetown situation when Georgetown was in the news and sure. about the slaves that they purchased in order to get money. I don't even yeah. know the full details of all the story, but what I do know about the aftermath of that coming out into the public yeah. was that of all the people that could have been called around the country, yeah. people reached into Chicago and tapped you, Monica Hazlitt, mm -hmm. to come in and facilitate conversations yeah. between the descendants of those slaves, mm -hmm. and I think it's GW272. GU272. GU272. You facilitated conversations between those slaves and the Jesuit priests yeah. that were the foundation of what Georgetown is. Yeah. And this was not one or two conversations. This was, talk to us about that, what that was like. <laughs> you know, I, I know you, you are uh, great at what you do because you had to dig to find that. <laughs> I really don't, I really, you know, it's interesting. A, a lot of my work that I do now really is about um, holding space for people to have difficult conversations. And I started working with uh, the W.K. Kellogg Foundation probably about 14 years ago through this amazing woman named Dr. Gail Christopher. And uh, Dr. Christopher was really a vice president at Kellogg at the time. And I was a grantee. She invited me to be a, a grantee for the organization. And I learned about her work. Um, and that work, she sort of identified a group of people around the country that she trained to be racial healing practitioners. Mm -hmm. And I was one of those folk. And so I said to her, I say to her now even, I don't know how you picked me. But uh, anyway, that, that uh, opportunity to be trained by her, it opened up a way for me to uh, really deepen my own understanding of myself first. Mm -hmm and then develop a practice of how to have whole space for people to have hard conversations. And so I, I did some training of other racial healing practitioners around the country for a few years. And then um, I started getting some calls from different uh, institutions and um, they called on me to do the work with uh, the GU-272. And that work was really um, profound work because it helped me as a descendant myself mm -hmm. uh, 
understand how powerful it is to, to build relationships mm -hmm. and the importance of um, building and deepening relationships so people could see their humanity and to deal with all the challenges that racism has mm -hmm. presented to all of us. So building relationships even with those who you have vastly different ideologies Ab with. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, the, the descendants of the enslaved 272 uh, people, those descendants, you know, they were a family and a newly formed family in some ways. Um, because they've been finding each other over the years. And um, so having a conversation with them about, you know, sort of the desires of their hearts as a collective, you know, that was one sort of relationship that I built, had to build with them. The Jesuits, uh, you know, it was sort of the top Jesuits from around the country. Um, who had been a part of this conversation with Georgetown University uh, to really deal with some atonement and figure out how to not only think about it from a reparation type perspective, but how do you deal with just the trauma and all the other issues that came out of um, the enslavement of people mm -hmm. and how those descendants are still dealing with the repercussions just like the rest of us of that system of slavery. How difficult was for it, um, and not to ask yeah. you to share anything yeah. that you know, shouldn't be, how difficult is it for anyone um, in that situation to um, acknowledge and not just acknowledge but act on the acknowledgement sure. of your forefathers mm -hmm. actions mm -hmm. it's it's very difficult you know but I think one of the things that is important is when we can come to these conversations as individuals uh, and not necessarily always representing the seat of power we're in, but actually as the, the person, then that person can really begin to uh, reflect on their own life. They get to build relationships with someone who is considered the other. Mm -hmm. uh, and that helps to establish their understanding of how ridiculous racism is as well as it helps us to begin to see our common humanity. Mm. And so um, that is a process, you know. So uh, I was very blessed and fortunate to spend uh, quite a bit of time with uh, that community and hold space for them and, and really kind of create the right kind of container for those hard conversations to happen. And so as a result, they formed a foundation. That foundation is um, uh, raising resources that will be used for the, the descendants. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it's a journey, mm -hmm. you know. It's, it's one of those things that I always say that um, healing is, is something that we have to continue mm -hmm. to, to work on and it's a journey 
And so racial healing itself is, is something that we have to be committed to perpetually because we have to keep, keep working on it. And so um, I, I've, I've been in a lot of really amazing rooms and holding space for a lot of hard conversations all over the country very quietly you know and, I, and it's funny I uh, that part of my work is um, it's something that I just you know I think it just evolved it was a part of what I was supposed to be doing perhaps uh, and I keep getting calls uh, and it's simply because I show up only to offer as much love as possible you know, and I, it, I can't help but listen to you talk about that um, and how much that work is now mm -hmm. a part of you and wonder for the rest of everyone listening, you know, we live in a time today, um, and I could go down a list of names yeah. of people who have been, died by gun violence mm -hmm. and, and, and many other things. But certainly since the death of, um, you know, Sandra Bland and George Floyd, and we've, we've, we've yep. the country has had a reckoning to deal with. And I think that so many people are engaged in protest mm -hmm. in one form or another, from the way they do their artwork, from the way they do their speeches, to theater, the way people write, the way uh, composers are composing music, mm -hmm. a lot of it is in that vein of protest. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, based on the things that you're talking about, I think about protest versus engagement, Sure. right? Like, you know, a lot of people are trying to accomplish a lot through protest, mm -hmm. but is that like where we really should be? What is possible if we spent less time protesting and more time engaging? <laughs> Well, you know, I always believe that we need a full toolbox. Mm. And that toolbox should be complex. Mm -hmm. I think the folk that are actually on the front lines, uh, protesting on our behalf, there is no greater gift that they could give to us, which is to, you know, make that level of, of commitment and sacrifice. But I, I think we also have to have several other types of interventions and other ways to deal with it. And so the work that I do, I consider it hard work, you know, which means that, you know, I can deal with the head stuff, but I actually need to try to touch your heart. Uh, because some of the folk that are sitting in these seats of power, you know, some of the other interventions are not working for them. And so um, reaching them and touching their humanity and helping them to see themselves in other people who are not necessarily uh, like them, that, that is also a very important part of what's in the toolbox. We've got to do it all. We can't we can't do just one part because that one part is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. If we only did protest, then we keep repeating the same cycles. Mm -hmm. If we are doing protests along with all the other interventions, including healing, mm -hmm. 
then we have a greater opportunity to actually end racism. Because I think people's uh, hearts are changed. And if, if, if you see me in a different way, then you are more likely to make a different decision when you're positioned to do that. So a racial healing for me is not just about um, the, the light-hearted, you know, beautiful relationship mm -hmm. building. Mm -hmm. Those relationships are built to change policy. Mm -hmm. That's right. To and transform. Systems. Yeah. To change systems. And so when we are thoughtful and strategic mm -hmm. uh, about these things, and we're including all the tools we have, mm -hmm. and the more we stop, you know, trying to uh, set a value for what's important or what's not important and really realize that it's all important, mm. then I think we can, we can actually progress and we can, you know, make a difference. Now, we talk about racial healing. I think about all the healing that must play, take place under this roof. Yeah. Where, where does creativity fall in all of that? I mean, you know, art is not just drawing and painting although it is that, it's yeah. music, it's performance, mm -hmm. but it's, it's creativity, it's a part of our brain that not a lot of our upbringing, you know, directs us toward. Yeah. So how do people tap into that? And we put a lot of focus on kids, but there are a lot of adults yeah. who I think if, if we could tap into our creative side more, mm -hmm. you know, we'd probably be a lot better people and have more to offer. Mm -hmm. What role do you think creativity plays and how do, how do adults find it? I mean, it's, it plays a huge role. I mean, I think everything that we love originates with creativity, you know, whether it's music or art or, mm -hmm. you know, technology or whatever. So I think um, the invitation to be lifelong learners and to one, one thing that black people don't often get an opportunity to do is explore mm. we don't get to like uh, create things in ways that we're not under the gaze mm. of others mm -hmm. and so what i've been trying to do here in this part of my career is to create an environment that is conducive for leaders and people who are creatives to, to explore it and to perhaps make mistakes uh, because what we haven't had the luxury of is uh, the value of what's in those mistakes because we've always been judged when those mistakes are made. And so it creates this fear where people mm -hmm. don't go as far as they could potentially go mm -hmm. because they're trying to make sure that they look mm -hmm. a certain way mm -hmm. in order to either not lose their grant money or, you know, not get, uh, um, lose their position, their leadership position. But, you know, we, we've got to get a little bit more open to exploration and discovery mm -hmm. so we can innovate mm -hmm. and ideate. Mm -hmm. We also have to rest. 
Mm. You know, this whole thing about, you know, I, I, I've learned more about how much, uh, you know, working and, yeah. you know, just being so focused on that is connected to colonialism and, you know. It's so true. We gotta rest. My grandmother would say, all motion ain't progress. That's right. <laughs> That's real. Yeah, yeah, so I'm trying to also create a place of, of refuge and rest for, for people. So they can come to a place and experience joy, like all the laughter you hear in the background, that's a regular yeah, here. Yeah. Because um, I believe joy and peace mm -hmm. and uh, rest and all those things are just as important uh, at the work we're doing. Yeah. You yeah. know, and you can't, when I, I, I travel a lot because, uh, you know, my wife is a part, is a singer. Mm -hmm. So we are in Europe a lot and I think the, the opportunity to, to go out into the world mm -hmm. and see how other people are living and uh, have that experience gives me more to bring back. Mm -hmm. And so I always, encourage folk to, you know, find ways to take those breaks for yourself, you know, go out and explore and see what's happening in the world, uh, and, and it will make your world bigger. Mm -hmm. Whatever you're working on and whatever you're creating uh, becomes a lot more rich mm. as a result of the experience of, of uh, being out in the world and seeing how other people are living. You talk a lot about the work, the work, and let's go back to some of the work that you started um, in your house yeah. and looking at the work that you're doing today mm -hmm. under Little Black Pearl. I'd like to know how much of that from the after-school programs to the design center, mm -hmm. the, the academy, mm -hmm. um, you know, through Carver 47. Mm -hmm. um, the programs that you started in the beginning, do yeah. those programs still exist? They're all infused mm -hmm. in everything. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the, it's the basis of it's everything. Growth. Yeah, expansion. it's just an expansion of yeah. what was in my house. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we still do after school programs. We still do summer programs. I have the high school. Mm -hmm. um, Carver, Carver is about expanding the narrative, you know. It's Listeners, if you're in Chicago, Carver 47 is unlike any <laughs> boutique style lunch, coffee shop, brunch, gallery, gift shop, library, <laughs> uh, networking place. Uh, it, it is all of that. Yeah. And I know you designed that space. I did. When I walked in, I said, oh my goodness, this is Monica. Her hand is all over this because it's a very small space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there is so much in that space. Yeah. Yeah. So when I think about what you said, it's infused. What you did initially is infused all over this building. Sure. That room, mm -hmm. I believe that everything in, the, in this place is mm -hmm. infused in that one small yeah. room. Yeah, yeah, in ways. I mean, when I, in the center of that space, that space is anchored by a red wagon. Mm. 
And that red wagon was the first wagon that I had in the basement of my house that our students in the after-school program would sell their artwork from. Oh. So when I started designing that space, I wanted that space, the heart of that space, to be held by that wagon because that wagon re represents everything we're about, oh. you know, so a lot of my design work is infusing story and infusing, mm -hmm. you know, the narrative that I want to uh, have people experience. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Carver in the space we're in now, you know, I wanted to build a business model because I was curious is if I could build a business model where I could um, expand his narrative, mm -hmm. but I could also um, bring a diverse group of people, attract a diverse group of people to a restaurant or a cafe. Mm -hmm. and, and it worked. You know, we have a very, very diverse customer base. Um, and I was thinking about gentrification, this neighborhood is changing. Uh, I wanted to be sort of that bridge. Mm -hmm. I also wanted people to recognize the value of what was already here. Mm -hmm. You know, so, and I also wanted us and uh, people outside of our community to know that Dr. Carver was way more than a peanut man. That's yeah. <laughs> so true. So, so, you know, I embed a lot of his story in everything mm -hmm. from wallpaper to, you know, uh, the menu. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, that 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 is a way for us to start thinking about ways to expand narratives mm. about black people and the narratives. role we play. How important is the knowledge of one's story. I, I'm real big on um, um, identity, historical identity, mm -hmm. uh, ethnic identity, mm -hmm. and feel like whether you're black or white or yellow, um, you've, you've got to tap into at some point in your life your ethnic identity, like mm -hmm. who you are, mm -hmm. and, and all of what that means. Yeah. And um, a lot of people are encouraged to tap into an ethnic identity, but not necessarily their own. Sure. Um, you know, you, when I think about the kids, mm -hmm. again, who come through your mm -hmm. spaces, what are you teaching them through the curriculums in the sure. different programs about themselves? Well, you know, that's, that's an important question. I mean, for me, we, we intentionally think about ways to help them use their experience here in education to learn about themselves mm -hmm. and to learn about their family and to learn about their history. Uh, so we have a lot of different ways that they get to that. They get to that through music. We have a recording studio in here that they use to kind of investigate for themselves, um, you know, their story and their narrative through music. We do it through poetry, we do it through visual arts. Um, they have very specific uh, 
jobs and roles that they have to play when we, through our partnerships with a lot of our corporate partners, we do a lot of uh, footwear and apparel design work with our young people and that is an investigative experience where they have to, uh, you know, respond to briefs that are given to us by our clients. Mm -hmm. And those briefs often have them look at their lives, look at their communities, and to produce uh, creative product that, that highlight that. And so we try to understand that young people learn in different ways, and we try to find as many ways as possible for them to tap into the, to the thing that they love, so they, so they want to learn. Uh, they, they, they spent a lot of time, like they had a senior project a couple of weeks ago, and it was so inspiring for me because they, they wrote a letter to their, to the, to their young self, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then they also uh, highlighted their, uh, their future and what they, what they had a vision for for themselves. And it was just powerful because it let me know that what they got while they were here mm -hmm. was, you know, some pride mm -hmm. and some, some clarity about, you know, how valuable they are. And, you know, the thing I always tell them, they laugh about it, I always say, you know, I love you. <laughs> because if nobody is saying it, mm. they at least get it. Yeah. From, from me yeah. and, and from the people in this space. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, and sometimes that's, that's what they need, mm -hmm. you know, and. Um, so what are you most proud of under the um, Little Black Pearl Workshop? When I look at the ecosystem here, I'm sure you mentioned poetry, you yeah. have um, um, sound recording. I know you, you, you started in mm -hmm. the beginning, you were teaching the business of art. Mm -hmm. I know what Chicago West do. Community Music mm -hmm. Center, the sponsors of the Black Muse podcast, mm -hmm. is all about the business of music. Mm -hmm. And what else do you offer here? Uh, well, we we uh, we pottery. Uh, I see. <laughs> we offer a lot of different things, but I think um, it's it's such a complex ecosystem and it's really designed to be that way uh, because I I think that um, tapping into uh, or having opportunities for people to tap into the things that they love so we do culinary arts through the cafe we do it uh, we're building out a catering kitchen upstairs um, uh, for workforce development mm -hmm. uh, for adults. We have glass blowing, which is kind of a, a world that mm. we typically don't have access yeah. to. Um, we, we really try to, we do events, mm -hmm. we do Pearl Fest, we do Black Unplugged, which are music events where we bring in really incredible artists and musicians. Uh, for performances and so and I you hold them here we hold them space. here we hold black unplugged here mm -hmm. but we also do pearl fest out on the lakefront mm -hmm. so that that event uh, brings out between five and twenty thousand mm -hmm. people and so we've done that every other year for the past probably 15 or more mm -hmm. years and so you know I, I think it's really uh, important to me to have some complexity 
yeah. in what yeah. we're doing. You know, I learned early on that we can't, in order to sustain, you have to have some um, different streams. Mm -hmm. And those streams should stay connected mm -hmm. to your mission mm -hmm. and to what you're doing. But we should always have mm -hmm. more than one stream of revenue yeah. because we can't, you know, everything has to feed the work. Yeah, there's actually um, a Japanese business model mm -hmm. that, that is exactly like that. It begins with a K, of course, I can't think of the name of it now, mm -hmm. um, but it is. Every, every piece of a business, and they're all vastly different, yeah. but they're all interconnected, certainly, through yeah. um, financing. And you know, it's funny you said that. I, was, uh, I took a, pl a, f a flight from Los Angeles to Chicago before I started Little Black Pearl. And I sat next to a guy who was a Japanese mm. businessman mm -hmm. who owned uh, a lot of um, real estate mm -hmm. in downtown LA. And he was telling me that he came to this country with almost nothing. Mm. And then he owned all these high rises. So I asked him, I said, if there was anything you could tell me as I'm going into thinking about business, uh, what would be the main point that you would tell me I need to be mindful of. And he said two things. He said, he or she who owns land is king or queen. Mm. He said, so you must own mm -hmm. your, your property. Mm -hmm. He said, and the second thing is you have to have a diverse portfolio. Mm -hmm. And your portfolio needs to be diverse enough for mm -hmm. when one thing is down, something else might be up. And so that always stuck with me. Mm. It always stuck with me that I, I needed to um, stress the importance mm -hmm. of, of owning, us owning mm -hmm. uh, our spaces mm -hmm. and uh, stress the importance of, you know, what those spaces offer to mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. And then the, the other thing was, you know, I learned. I learned the hard way mm -hmm. in some ways that, you know, I had to have a diverse portfolio. Mm -hmm. So when, you know, in 2008, when the bottom dropped out of everything, mm -hmm. I had to create events mm -hmm. and let the building itself mm -hmm. help to take us through that mm -hmm. tough period. So, mm -hmm. you know, I learned that from experience. Yeah, yeah. I, I commend you. One, I don't know um, if it's, uh, obviously it's God ordained, but I think about a lot of people do things for the money, for the love of money. Mm. And you've always done things for others, mm -hmm. with others in mind. Mm -hmm. And you've been, um, you know, um, I think awarded, rewarded for that. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a lesson to be learned for sure mm -hmm. um, for folk. You have a lot of successes mm -hmm. and a lot of accomplishments here in 2023. What are you afraid of? I have to tell you, I am not afraid of anything. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what, I, what I have concerns about mm -hmm. is, um, you know, given this climate and the polarization of, you know, this country and the work that I'm doing, I believe, because you have to believe that racism can end mm -hmm. in order for that to happen. So I believe 
-hmm. it can end. Uh, but what I am concerned about often is us being ready. Mm -hmm. Our readiness. Yes, yes. You know, and I get that. What are we doing mm -hmm. to make sure that when that opportunity presents itself and we've done the work to end racism, are our people ready? Mm -hmm. Have we prepared them to take on these uh, new systems that we need to build? And um, so that's the thing that I think about now. Mm -hmm. I think about, you know, the bench. Mm -hmm. What kind of bench is there in my industry? Mm -hmm. And when I finish doing this, who comes behind me? And are they ready? And am I leaving them um, an organization that is healthy enough mm -hmm. for them to pick up and move to the next mm -hmm. phase? So that's the stuff that I think about. Um, and that I, that I, I could say I'm, I'm concerned about, mm -hmm. but I'm not afraid of it because I do believe that um, we have extraordinary people who are building new organizations and doing great things. Mm -hmm. my, my intention at this part of my career is to share as much as I can with what I've learned and what I've experienced mm -hmm. so it can help in, whoever's coming behind me um, I, I think the work that I'm doing in racial healing, I'm, you know, I'm very invested in that work because I think um, we've got to have hard conversations mm -hmm. and we've got to have people who can facilitate them without folk using the excuse mm -hmm. of it being too hard to stop, you know, to stop even talking. And so. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to continuing that body of work too. Um, and um, I'm, I'm concerned about our, our children, you know, and I think that we've got a lot of work to do uh, to help education become more relevant for them uh, because, you know, we're operating education as if is still 1940 and yeah, yeah. our children um, are getting left behind because we're not preparing them yeah. for you know the 21st century and what is right in front of us around technology and everything else so I'm, I'm really those are the things I think about and those are the things that I'm um, probably most concerned about. Good. I, I hope that some of your conversations take you in the space of early childhood education mm. because I'm a firm believer that those ages from one to three, mm -hmm. and particularly in our community, are wasted. Mm -hmm. They're the most important years of a human being. Mm -hmm. And a lot of kids spend that time simply playing and just, mm -hmm. but nothing structured. And there's so much that can be done in yeah. those years. Now, as we wind down, mm -hmm. uh, because we could talk for hours, mm -hmm. I, there was a time when you could look outside and hear the roar of what sounded like what's about to come to Chicago in a couple of weeks, NASCAR, mm -hmm. um, but it would be a little black 
um, Alfa Romeo Spider with the music blasting, and it would be Rachel Farrell or Diane Reeves or Sarah Vaughan, or and at the wheel is none other than Ms. Monica Haslip. That's right. That's <laughs> Do right. It still happens. Alfa Romeo. It still happens. Yes, <laughs> I still have my my Spider, my Alfa. I was, you know, it was a gift from mm -hmm. my mom, so. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't get rid of it. My nephew has claimed it. So I told him, you know, it, it, once it leaves me, mm -hmm. it will definitely come mm -hmm. to you. But I haven't been able to give it up yet. <laughs> so I'm still, I'm still driving around, music loud, mm -hmm. as, as I was doing in the past. Really? What yeah. musicians inspire you today? Oh, and, gosh. And, and you know, I, I am... I am uh, in love with a lot of people, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I have to say that my my wife is Liz Wright, mm -hmm. and she's my favorite. Uh -huh. Not uh -huh. because of who she is, but mm -hmm. because I love her music. I love mm -hmm. Terry Lynn Carrington, who's yes. a great, oh, yes. great friend, and um, Esperanza Spaulding, mm -hmm. and um, uh, Diane Reeves, mm -hmm. and I, I mean, I have so many people that I really just love. Mm -hmm. um, there's so much music out here now that uh, is really powerful. That's a heal that's a whole another category of of healing work mm -hmm. that's being done. Yeah, yeah. And 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 young folk that are changing the game in music mm -hmm. is also um, inspiring to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. Watching mm -hmm. them, you know, force the music industry to to do what they do in a different way. And mm -hmm. the more you know, um, sort of. Uh, I don't. I don't think the industry has quite gotten where it needs to be uh, with equity. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, young people are really challenging them and really finding ways to deal directly. In with what their way audiences. would you say? I know when we talked about hip hop, and then hip hop mm -hmm. went to rap, and people mm -hmm. talked about those changes, and then we had the you know, the, the, the fights about the lyrics and, mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. um, devaluing of women and mm -hmm. what kind of changes are being um, spearheaded by young people today in music? Well, I, I think because this is a time where they are doing more curating. They're mm -hmm. curating their lives. They're curating mm -hmm. their fashion. They're curating their music. They're curating everything. And so I think that that is changing mm -hmm. uh, how the industry is able mm -hmm. to um, sort of communicate with the artists. So artists are now have, they have a lot more control mm -hmm. of the relationship they have with uh, their audience because mm -hmm. it's more direct mm -hmm. because of uh, social media and everything yeah. else. So young people are driving yeah, that. Yeah, I remember when John Legend came out and when he came out of Wharton, School of Business and used to sell CDs out of the trunk of his car. Uh -huh. But I remember when he was put on the cover of Fast Track magazine, and one of the things they said about him was how he changed the game by cutting out the middleman mm -hmm. and going direct, as you yes. say. Yes. I remember Alicia Keys when she turned down that first contract and yep. said, I'm not ready. Yep. And what it really was, she didn't like the direction they were trying to force her into, and That's she right. waited That's right. until she could have her own voice and curate mm -hmm. what was in her heart and mm -hmm. soul. Mm -hmm. I get it. I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that about them. And I, you know, and people, there's a lot of 
you know, conversation about young people and lyrics and and I, I think some of it is, you know, it's not my taste. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's it's all about storytelling. Mm -hmm. You know, and many of the things that they are talking about are relevant to the lives they're living. Mm -hmm. And so as much as I can't relate to it, mm -hmm. It's a story that's being told that really resonates with folk mm -hmm. who are having that experience. And yeah. so I think the encouragement for them to keep, you know, uh, moving in a positive direction mm -hmm. and having that narrative. Uh, creating their own narrative. Because yeah. he who holds, he or she who holds the pen holds the power. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, the, we have to be able to take in an expansive narrative. Yeah. You know, it can't yeah. always be what we're comfortable with. I remember things I used to listen to, my mom would be like, turn that <laughs> off. <laughs> but so I have to try to keep that in my head because I know, you know, some of what they're talking about, I, I don't condone nor do I understand. Mm -hmm. But I still think they have the right to 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 say it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last business question. Yeah. How do you see AI playing a role in the future oh, of Little Black Pearl? You know, I think <laughs> I think AI is going to play a role in the future of everything. I do too. And so um, I'm I'm personally I'm exploring it now Ooh. you know I'm exploring it in relationship to my own art mm -hmm. so some of the design work that I'm doing I'm I'm dealing with some AI because because I think I've got a I want to feel comfortable understanding mm -hmm. um, I think it has some very um, challenging and scary potentials mm -hmm. if there are no boundaries put around it. Uh, but I think we should be trying to understand what is happening with it mm -hmm. um, because it is important for us to stay in front of things and not always being pulled behind. And so um, I, I say that it's like everything else. Anything that's like um, done with no boundaries can always become like a, a, a nightmare for yeah, us. Yeah. But you know, if uh, we can get people to pay attention to what the folk who are actually creating this technology mm -hmm. are saying, which mm -hmm. is this is very dangerous without some boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, if we can get folk to pay attention to that, then I think we can begin to shape it in a way that it could be a productive thing mm -hmm. for us. Uh, but you know, you never, you can't really, you don't ever know the direction that it's yeah. going to go. You know, so I'm, I'm just trying to learn and make sure I'm, I'm aware of what I'm. I know what I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. And I've tested it myself, you know, so I'm playing with it. I'm, I'm incorporating it in some of my work because mm -hmm. I want to, mm -hmm. I want to see. And, and um, you know, it's, we're not in it enough 
for it to not have biases. Yeah, yeah. And well, so, the biases are in its very design. Design, yeah, yeah. yes. And so as a result, you know, we have to find ways to uh, counteract that. So We've I got, have a word for you. Yeah. Spellcaster. When I think of AI, the future of AI, and I think about the kids who are learning code today, mm -hmm. that's going to be obsolete once AI goes mainstream. And the next, what's going to take the place of code casting, code code coding mm -hmm. is spell casting. And what mm -hmm. I mean by that is the ability to truly understand the search engines of AI. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because if you can understand that design, sure. get into the mind of those, mm -hmm. that's what's going to make you valuable mm -hmm. in organizations mm -hmm. and the implementation of mm -hmm. it in projects. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's what we have to spend time on. I mean, because it's, it's an expansive um, tool. Yeah. And so when you think about it, you just, there's so much uh, that it moves out mm -hmm. from, like the, the, the seed is just the seed and it's so much bigger. Yeah. Um, uh, so I think just really understanding that mm -hmm. and understanding how that operates in our lives, yeah. you yeah. know, and knowing how it's being used mm -hmm and how that impacts us, mm -hmm. that's, that's important. Yeah. That's important for well, us. Well, we started this conversation. You talked about um, you always having an eye toward the future. Yeah. So I'd like to end the conversation on what that future might look like from this point. Wow. Um, you know what? I, I love thinking about the future, but I live very much in the present. Mm. So I try to not get too far ahead of myself. Mm -hmm. um, I am very open-minded, so I'm thinking about a whole bunch of different <laughs> things. You know, it must be the Gemini in me. So I'm, I have lots of things swirling around in my head about a lot of things, mm -hmm. you know. So um, I think the future for me is you know, having a uh, sort of peaceful life that really uh, focus a bit more on my own well-being mm -hmm. and my, my own rest mm -hmm. and my, uh, I'm very mindful now of how I'm choosing to share. Mm -hmm. And, and um, so, you know, I think the future is not feeling obligated to, you know, have an answer. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I just, I am, I am enjoying uh, the liberation of being present. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Enjoying just the state of being. Yeah. 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 And, and when I, when I think about the future is when I, when I, when I want to muse and when I want to, mm -hmm. you know, let my mind be open, <laughs> but I, I really completely love and value and appreciate being present. Yeah, excellent. 
Well, I want to thank you for joining me and Black Muse podcast today. This has been a wonderful conversation, and I know our listeners are going to be overjoyed. Good. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's you been, are welcome. It's been fun. <laughs> yeah. It's good to see you, too. I know. It's been <laughs> great. It's a reunion. Yes. Yes, for sure. For thank sure. you so much. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that's it, folks. We have had this wonderful conversation with Monica Haslip, the visionary behind so many things, but of course, Little Black Pearl Workshop. Why don't you give the website and the address of Little Black Work, um, Workshop so people can dig in a little deeper? Well, the website is uh, www.blackpearl.org. And the phone number, for those of you who are still calling, it's 773-285. <laughs> One two one one. We're on the corner of 47th and Greenwood in Chicago on the south side. Uh, address 1060 East 47th Street. Come by and see us. Uh, Carver 47 is c47.com. Excellent, excellent. Make sure you write those down and uh, take a listen. Give a like at the end of the program. Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Doris Davenport, Black Muse correspondent sponsored by the Chicago West Community Music Center. <laughs>